The following is an iHeartRadio podcast. The Soundtrack Show will begin in 5, 4, 3. And now, for the final musical conclusion of Return of the Jedi and the entire classic Star Wars trilogy. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and this episode will cover the Battle of Endor from beginning to end as we look at the back half of Star Wars Episode VI, Return of the Jedi, a film from 1983 from Lucasfilm and 20th Century Fox, produced by George Lucas and Howard Kazanjian, directed by Richard Marquand, with a film score by John Williams. Our last episode saw our heroes arrive with a strike team on the forest moon of Endor. And as they're making their way through the forest, they spot two scout troopers with speeder bikes. As they decide to ambush these scout troopers, we hear suspenseful chords. Until the ambush goes wrong and we get a fanfare of horns. Scout escapes via speeder bike, Leia jumps on another bike to chase him. Luke jumps on with her, and we begin an incredibly visceral, exciting sequence in Jedi that is, well, it's musicless. There's not a single note in this famous sequence. Let's take a listen. It's one of the greatest scenes in the movie, but why isn't there an exciting action music cue here? Big horns or chugging strings, cymbal crashes, anything? It certainly would have worked, but I have a question. Had I not pointed it out, would you have noticed that there was no music here? Well, the filmmakers argued back in the day, you probably wouldn't have. Here's a quote from Rensselaer's book, The Making of Return of the Jedi, regarding the music spotting sessions that took place starting on November 2nd, 1982. The spotting session is when George Lucas, Richard Marquand, and John Williams would sit and look at the film and decide where music is needed and where it isn't. Quote, Because sound design and music were so closely linked, Ben Burt also sat in on the spotting sessions. 
As the speeder bike chase sped by, still in videomatic form, he suggested that there be no music during the sequence, explaining that the intensity of the scene would be more pronounced if we surprised the audience with just a point-of-view reality of visceral bike sounds, Bert would say. I felt it was unnecessary to have music tell the audience that it was exciting. Johnny Williams agreed, so George threw up his hands and said, okay, if you guys say so. Four days later, Lucas locked two reels of the picture, which were immediately handed over to Williams, end quote. The sound design in this sequence, with the whooping speeders, breaking tree branches, and shifting engines, stood on its own as a storytelling powerhouse, adding tremendous excitement and credibility to the cutting-edge visual effects. Here's Ben Burt to tell us more. The gear shifts and the various sounds of the bikes changing tones as they went different speeds, the principal sound for that came about in a funny way. I was in England in an office during the production of the movie, and I was doing some paperwork, and I heard outside coming from the street near the studio a very strange sound, kind of a coughing but musical sound. And I went outside and I saw some men that were trying to repair a pothole in the street and they had an air hammer that they were trying to use, but it had gotten a rock caught in the rubber hose which fed the air to the hammer. And so as they activated the hammer, they were actually playing a funny musical instrument. And so I said to them, please don't fix it. Let me go get my recorder, I'll be right back. And obviously they looked at me like I was pretty strange, but they, they tolerated it. And I came back a few moments later with my recorder and we recorded that funny air compressor and used it for the sounds of the bikes shifting gears. George Lucas came by to listen to the speeder bike chase when I thought it had been completed. And he sat through it, he hadn't heard any of the sounds before. And he liked it, but he had a comment that he felt it didn't seem quite real enough. It didn't have quite enough presence to it. And his suggestion was that we put in the sound of snapping branches and leaves and the kind of noises you'd get if those bikes were really zooming through the forest and clipping the edges of foliage and shrubs and so on. So we very quickly put together some sounds of brush and crackling sticks and we made some loops of the sound that is just continuously playing sounds and we went back through the speeder bike chase and we would ramp in those sounds so there'd be a brief burst of just sticks and dirt noise and grit. After the bike chase, we hear somber chords as Luke makes his way back to Han and the strike team without Leia. We then move to a scene where an unknown creature sneaks up on an unconscious Leia somewhere else. Now we don't know what it is, but it's eventually revealed to be this teddy bear looking creature it's Wicked, the Ewok. An adorable get-to-know-you scene follows. And we hear, for the first time, a light version of the Ewok motif. We're getting to know them musically as well. Right afterwards, we're treated to a rare scare in Star Wars. Wicket senses danger in the forest. The music drops out, and we get nothing but this repeating, whooping bird cry. Almost sounds like an organic alarm. What is it?
Then, from out of nowhere, a blaster bolt. Now another blaster bolt. And suddenly, the trooper sneaks up on Leia. But with the help of her Ewok friend, Leia overpowers this scout trooper by knocking him out cold with a tree branch and single-handedly takes out another one trying to escape on a speeder bike with just her pistol. As she does this, Williams gives us an action version of Leia's theme. Oh, that's great. Unfortunately, you can't hear it that clearly. You can't hear the motif that clearly in the final mix of the film. But on the soundtrack, as you heard, it's there clear as can be. You know, I like this actionized version of Leia's theme, and I almost wish, almost wish we had more of it. Because while Leia has had some fierce moments in movies like A New Hope or Empire or Last Jedi, Return of the Jedi really showcases her as an incredible warrior princess. She blasts her way into Jabba's throne room as a bounty hunter in disguise at the top of the movie. Then she's made to be humiliated and objectified by being chained into a skimpy outfit, but later kills her captor symbolically with those same chains. She then works with Luke to destroy the sail barge, ultimately being the one pulling the trigger as she points the turret lasers at the barge deck. And as we discussed earlier, she waits for no one to just jump on a speeder and chase the escaping scout, Luke running after her. And then here, she takes down two scouts with ease. Later, we'll see her fight it out at the bunker, and even when she's wounded, she bullseyes two stormtroopers in a row, saving herself and Han. Bam! Bam! So yeah, no wonder she's an icon. And I just love William's choice here to use her theme as the basis of this action cue. I feel like that's the only time he ever did that. But moving on. In our last episode, we heard some really clear examples of in-world diegetic music. Well, as our heroes end up in an Ewok village, we're treated to these wonderful sounds. I love the rhythmic motif here. The the clunk, 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 that talking drum. The music has so much personality. This, uh, This music continues throughout the feast or the preparation of the feast until Luke levitates C-3PO in order to keep themselves from being eaten by these Ewoks. And when he does levitate 3PO, we hear trilling strings rising in imitation of 3PO's wooden chair rising, closely following the action until a soaring version of the Force theme is heard to give us a sense of wonder and magic.
Eventually, the Ewoks free their prisoners, and then they listen to their whole story via C-3PO, who gives us a magical rendition of the classic trilogy story thus far via his memory bank and presumably a little built-in recorder that documented the sounds heard in each battle. Let's take a listen to this sequence. I never knew I had it in me. Yes, Artu, I was just coming to that. To run to gosh. Master Luke had chimney to do. Uta Millennium Falcon at Chimney Cloud City. Us Nuch Vader. Han Solo. Tikolo Carbon. Wonder Kachnab Gubu Salak. Oh. Now, I want to focus on how John Williams handles this sequence. Let's hear the music, just the music in isolation. First, we have an almost like medieval court-like fanfare announcement. Hear ye, hear ye, gather round as I tell a tale. Coincidentally, this fanfare also features those Star Wars-y open thiffs. Then, an ocarina giving us Luke's theme as 3PO starts the story. On mention of Darth Vader, we get a cute version of Vader's theme, with percussion and woodwinds. Upon mentioning Obi-Wan Kenobi from the first film, we start with a tritone, possibly giving us some mystery around him and the Force, then followed by the Force theme when 3PO describes the duel between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. Then, moving into Empire Strikes Back, as 3PO describes the walkers at the Battle of Hoth, we get this. A slow march with bending low brass kind of imitates the music for the walkers from Empire. When 3PO mentions Luke Skywalker defeating the walkers and presumably going to Dagobah to train, we get Luke's theme, this time more thoughtful with arpeggiating harp. Then, suspense before telling the story of Han frozen in carbonite. When he does begin that part, we're treated to Han Solo and the Princess, their love theme. And 3PO's recap of the classic trilogy up to this point concludes with a final chord. What a wonderful musical recap as well. This is followed by more diegetic music as the Ewoks make our rebel heroes a part of the tribe. But what follows is an extremely difficult and pivotal scene between Luke and Leia. Here's George Lucas on why this scene was so difficult to write and execute. He's come for me. He can feel when I'm near. The discussion here is one of those things you want to have to never write. <laughs> you know, it's one thing for Darth Vader to tell Luke that he's his father. And it's another thing to have Luke 
tell Leia that he's his sister and that Darth Vader is his father. That really gets hard to swallow. So it's a real challenge to pull it off and make it come out with dialogue that is at least sincere and believable with honest reactions. I mean, here you got these characters that have been around for a long time and one's telling them that, oh, by the way, you're my sister and Darth Vader's my father and he's also your father. And most stories, it takes the whole movie to explain that part. You know, very carefully constructed and put together. Here I have to dump it out in one little scene. You know, it's true. We spent almost two movies working up to the I am your father moment in Empire. But now Luke has to tell Leia not only that A, Darth Vader's my father, but also B, you're my twin sister, which unfortunately also means that C, Vader's your father too. And to Leia's credit, you know, she she takes this all surprisingly well. I, I know, I guess I've always known. Oh, well, that's cool. I, I mean, a heads up would have been nice for me. I personally was pretty much suicidal when I found out I was fighting my dad on Bestman, kind of plunged myself down a bottomless pit as I'd rather just die than be his son. But, you know, that's that's good. Good for you. That's yet another example of how cool you are. Anyway, I'm being jokey here, obviously, to illustrate the real point, And that is this. George Lucas fears aside. Crazy exposition needs aside. This scene totally works. It works beautifully. Our actors are great. The script handles these bombshell revelations pretty delicately. But even then, I would argue that the reason this scene works so well is because the music is doing so much work here to help us digest this scene. First of all, it helps us reframe the relationship between Luke and Leia as a sibling one with a new theme. That theme makes us feel like their relationship is born out of sorrow, surviving on hope. Let's take a listen. The scene starts out hinting at Luke's theme, but falls apart into lush strings, yearning with classic romanticism. Then, a suspenseful statement of the Force theme. Breaking down, and suddenly, upon admission of their family connection, Cellos emerge with Luke and Leia's theme for the first time in the film. Darkening for a moment. Then coming back in strongly. realization here, then finally morphing back into the Force theme as she pleads with Luke. But then the theme comes back again, driven by woodwinds. The conversation deepens. Then when Han appears, Han and Leia's love theme takes over. 
broken with the force theme peeking into the conversation. Now for a brief intermission. We return now to the soundtrack show. Luke turns himself in to face Vader, as he knows he must. An ATAT walker on the surface of Endor carries him to a windowed hallway where Vader meets him. This scene between father and son sets up the true psychology of Return of the Jedi. The twist, Luke plans to win by talking not fighting. This is a rebel that surrendered to us. Although he denies it, I believe there may be more of them, and I request permission to conduct a further search of the area. He was armed only with this. Good work, Commander. Leave us. Conduct your search and bring his companions to me. Yes, my lord. But, seemingly, it doesn't go so well. The Emperor has been expecting you. I know, Father. So, you have accepted the truth. I've accepted the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. That name no longer has any meaning for me. Now, interestingly enough, at the end of this conversation... Then my father is truly dead. We hear this music after Luke has been taken away and Vader is left all by himself to stand there looking out the window and to contemplate. What's interesting is that the soundtrack cue from the 97 Special Edition album reveals that this wasn't originally the music at the end of this scene. Different music played at the end of the scene. Here's what's on the soundtrack that isn't in the final movie. modified, almost questioning version of Luke's theme. So, why did this music get replaced? Well, I'd like to offer a theory. Because Vader is masked, he's expressionless, music is the cinematic technique that provides 100% of the emotional context in this shot. We can't see Vader's reaction to this scene, how it went, how he feels, so it's up to the music to provide that. So if they play Luke's theme here, we, the audience, would have known, going into the rest of the movie, that Luke got to Vader in that last scene. And therefore, we would have been thinking to ourselves, Luke might pull this off. But perhaps the filmmakers felt a more suspenseful option would be to make the music a bit more neutral, so we keep the tension going all the way until the throne room battle towards the end. What's Vader going to do? We just don't know. Fascinating peek into the creative process. 
Moving forward, as the Ewoks first show their real potential when Wicket tells Han and the droids of a backdoor entrance, we hear the Ewoks theme number two. This transitions into a huge trumpet triplet run as we see snub fighters flying around the Rebel Armada up in space. The Rebel fleet is preparing to jump for the attack. And as our Rebel leaders speak, we hear this exciting underscore. which, though bouncy and exciting, is actually based off of a melody we heard briefly in the first film during the award ceremony. This, bump, that whole thing. Is actually a version of this. And as the fleet enters hyperspace, we're given a big brass fanfare, giving us the promise of heroism yet to come. Back to the surface of Endor. As our heroes sneak up on the back bunker door, one Ewok, out of curiosity perhaps, goes rogue and climbs aboard a speeder bike. And as they watch this happen with a whispered facepalm, we hear mischievous woodwinds in the film score. That is, until the Ewok takes off in the speeder bike. As he does, we hear a very lively version of the Ewoks in action for the first time. Now, interestingly enough here, I also hear a sort of DS Irae in the strings. Well, almost. The intervals are just a half step off from DS Irae, just at the very end, giving us almost what sounds like a major key setting of the DS Irae. Instead of dee-da-dee-dum, we get dee-da-dee-dum, or dee-da-dee-dum, da-da-da-dum. Almost like this Ewok is comically cheating death by taking this joyride. After the strike team makes its way into the bunker, we cut back to the Death Star and Luke's first meeting with the Emperor. We hear the Imperial March as they arrive in its fully stated glory.
followed by another rendition of the Emperor's theme, which happens right as we get our first close-up on the hideously terrifying face of Palpatine. This underscore continues beneath the verbal sparring between the light side and the dark as the Emperor tries to get a rise out of Luke. Will it work? We'll find out as we are now entering the final act of the movie. Here's a quote from the liner notes of the 1997 special edition album by Mike Mattesino. Quote, The Battle of Endor, which is what we're about to start here. The Battle of Endor Q marks the beginning of a remarkable feat by Williams and the London Symphony Orchestra over 30 minutes of continuous action music for the climax of the trilogy, end quote. The Soundtrack Show will continue in a moment. We return now to The Soundtrack Show. The Battle of Endor kicks in with a pulsing rhythm as our strike team takes over the bunker. Simultaneously, our rebel fleet comes out of hyperspace above Endor, close to the second Death Star. Our Star Wars cross-cutting multiple story threads begin at a rapid pace. We hear what I call the trap theme, that theme that was hinted at at the beginning of the movie. And we even get a glimmer of hope as the B section of the main title plays when Akbar says, may the force be with us. But things take a bad turn when Lando realizes that they're about to fly into a trap. This trap theme builds to a crescendo as giant Mon Calamari capital ships have to reverse course. The shields on the Death Star are still up and now they've been ambushed by a fleet of Star Destroyers waiting behind them. A brilliant tactical move by Palpatine and the Empire. action continues as a dizzying amount of fighters fill the screen. I mean, in 1983, we'd never seen anything like this battle sequence before. The music pounds, the pulse steady as the battle begins. When Lando radios out tactical commands and improvises a new strategy, we hear the rebel fanfare briefly before transitioning into underscore in the second scene between the Emperor, Luke, and Vader. This whole trap, we realize, is designed to get a rise out of Luke. Then we cut back to the planet of Endor. Looks like our strike team has been captured. A whole legion of troops, speeders, and ATST chicken walkers are waiting for them outside. Enter the Ewoks. As they begin their attack, the orchestra goes crazy with percussion and swooping brass. Then, horns call the entire tribe to action, and the whole Imperial Legion scrambles in every direction. 
a full-on ground battle has broken out. What follows is almost a weaponized version of the Ewoks theme. The music providing much-needed heroism, even as our Ewoks are trying, with limited success, to fight the Empire. I mean, as we would expect, what chance does this tribe have against the technical war machine that is the Galactic Empire? Here's George Lucas describing this sequence and giving us thoughts on this very subject. This film was written during the Vietnam War, where a small group of ill-equipped people were able to overcome a mighty power. It's not a new idea. Attila the Hun was able to overrun the Roman Empire. The American colonies were able to overrun the British. And that's always the same story. The Roman Empire had huge mechanical advantage and training advantage over the Huns. But the Huns were still able to overwhelm them with sort of enthusiasm and their humanness and their belief in what they were doing. And that was the main theme for the overall downfall of the empire, but it was basically overcome by humanity in the form of cute little teddy bears. Now, we cut back to the space battle. More action music until we settle back into the throne room at the Death Star. Strings accentuate the pain seething in Luke as he watches the battle unfold. And then suddenly, the Death Star fires with an orchestral flurry. The rebel leaders need to make a choice. Do we retreat or do we hang in? They decide to give Han and the strike team more time. And we go back down to the forest moon and watch our heroes struggle to get the door open. And we witness devastating loss in the Ewok tribe, accentuated by sorrowful strings as they're being shot down. We even watch an up-close-and-personal moment of an Ewok being killed as another Ewok grieves the loss. Even though Williams doesn't let the rhythmic pulse of this entire sequence really drop, he still manages to underscore the loss in this moment here. Back up at the Death Star, while the losses continue in the space battle, Luke struggles to resist the anger in the throne room ultimately giving in to his impulse to kill the Emperor. As he does and he reaches for his lightsaber, Williams gives us a crescendo to accompany the Emperor's wicked laugh as Darth Vader parries the assault. With the space battle in a trap, the ground battle in complete disarray, and the dark side closing in, is all hope lost? Well, what happens next gives us a fighting chance at victory as our Ewok friends begin to turn the tide in battle. Here, Lucas's theme of spirit over technology emerges. The Ewoks get the upper hand, finally, by setting traps, a la Seven Samurai, 
but more like with the lighthearted nature of something like Swiss Family Robinson. And as they do, the music takes a turn into the realm of fun. Ewoks then work with Chewbacca to commandeer an ATST. As Chewie swings aboard, we hear a Wookiee version of that classic Tarzan roar. And as Han and Leia try and open the bunker door, a cue called the Battle of Endor 2 kicks off. Leia is wounded in an orchestral flurry. Followed by a moment of quiet as Han says, I love you, and Leia returns the I know from Empire, we hear a reminder of their romance via John Williams. Followed by an action stinger as she takes out the two stormtroopers. <laughs> Great musical storytelling. Speaking of which, This storytelling starts to become more operatic as we cut back yet again to the throne room. A lot of cross-cutting in the end of this movie. Though Han and the Ewoks have gained the upper hand and have seemingly won the ground battle, we are thrown straight into a flurry of lightsabers. I got an idea. The underscore is low in the mix, favoring the sabers instead. But when Luke knocks his father down the stairs, the Emperor's theme plays this time with more intensity. Use your aggressive feelings, boy. Let the heat flow through you. (laughs) In response, Luke switches off his saber. Obi-Wan has taught you well. As he does, proclaiming that no, he will not fight. I will not fight you, Father. The Force theme plays. That is, until Vader attacks. You are unwise to lower your defenses. Luke removes himself from the fight by jumping up to a catwalk. Your thoughts betray you, Father. I feel the good in you. The conflict. There is no conflict. And the Force theme plays again. Luke continues to try and reach his father with words. But when Vader throws his saber bringing the whole catwalk with Luke on it, crashing down to the floor as his response. Then you will meet your destiny. The Emperor cackles. And for the first time, we hear the brass play an all-out, viciously evil version of the Emperor's theme. Using the orchestra to show us the true power of the dark side that has been hiding this whole time within the Emperor. Cutting back again to Endor, Han is executing an idea that he had. He uses the captured ATST, disguises himself as an ATST driver, and radios the bunker to open the door, inviting them to come outside and help clean up. We beat everybody. Come on out. As we see Han in disguise on the monitor, we actually hear the Ewoks theme. 
It's over, Commander. The Rebels have been routed. They're fleeing into the woods. We need reinforcements to continue the pursuit. Han, once a skeptic of the Ewoks, is now, via the music, fully on board, fully part of the tribe. This is re-emphasized when all the Ewoks surround Han and help him ambush the troops after they flood out the bunker door. And back to the throne room again. Now it's a game of cat and mouse. Luke is hiding from Vader. He doesn't want to fight, but his father is forcing it. As Luke hides, we hear low woodwinds as Vader hunts for him. What follows is the most operatic scene in the whole classic trilogy. Upon reading Luke's thoughts, Vader learns of Luke's twin sister. As he taunts Luke by threatening to turn his sister, Leia, instead of him, Luke erupts in a rage and goes on the offensive, relentlessly attacking Vader. Here, the music zooms out into a cosmic macro view of these events, as if light and dark, the fundamental elements, are clashing in a way that will change the galaxy forever. The male choir that was initially used as the evil Sith vocals in Palpatine's theme transforms almost into a Greek chorus that provides commentary on the events. And you know, it's doubling the high strings as if the strings are the light side and the male vocals the dark, crescendoing together at this critical moment as legend is being written. That is until Luke finally beats his father down and symbolically amputates his sabered mechanical hand in parallel to the previous film. As this happens, Luke seethes with hate looming over his beaten father, and the Emperor's theme happily plays. But Yoda mentioned what would happen next. He doesn't become a Jedi by fighting. In a twist, Luke throws away his lightsaber, completely giving up the fight to redeem his father and himself. This is the moment where he becomes a Jedi Knight. As he does it, even amongst all of this evil, the Force theme does manage to burst through the darkness of the film score. Now back to Endor. The bunker is blown with a rousing action cue based on the Ewoks theme. The shield is finally down. Lando and the snub fighters can now approach the Death Star. And as they do, we hear the rebel fanfare, reassuring us yet again that victory is possible. We'll need that reassurance. Because upon cutting back again, yet again, to the throne room, Luke is about to be attacked by the Emperor in an effort to kill him. As Force Lightning surges through Luke, the Emperor's theme also surges. It builds as the brass plays it loudly and boldly. Then it stops right when the lightning strikes are stopping. 
long enough for the emperor to tell Luke that this is the end. But then something unexpected happens. The male voices start rising in pitch, rising, rising as the orchestra rises. And suddenly, right when we think this is all over, the Force theme plays as Darth Vader intervenes. He picks up the Emperor and throws him into a bottomless pit, sacrificing himself in the process. As the Emperor dies in a fiery explosion below, the male voices are just going crazy. As Luke rushes over to the critically wounded Vader, his father, we cut to the surface of the Death Star, where Wedge, Lando, and a group of fighters enter its interior. And when they do, we hear some very familiar rousing music play. Here, in what's known as the Battle of Endor 3 music cue, some familiar passages from A New Hope are re-recorded for this sequence in Jedi. Only it sounds a little different than what we're used to. that music really does the trick. It provides us that throwback that it puts us right into the good old Rebel Alliance feeling. I mentioned that it revises music from A New Hope, and that music would be the TIE Fighter attack sequence after the escape from the Death Star. Dramatically, it's, it's the perfect spot, really building heroic momentum here in Jedi. But I mentioned that the cue sounds slightly different. What I mean is that the sound quality of the recording is slightly different than the rest of this film score. It doesn't quite sound the same. The reason why, actually, is because of an interesting behind-the-scenes story. This cue, the Battle of Endor 3, was actually recorded on a day where the orchestra had to move from Abbey Road Studios to nearby Olympic Studios, where this cue was ultimately recorded. The account that I've read of this day comes from Chris Malone of Malone Digital and his analysis document called Recording the Star Wars Saga. Here's a quote from that document, quote, The cue that accompanied Lando Calrissian's flight through the inner workings of the Death Star, titled Superstructure Chase on the Special Edition CDs, was not recorded at Abbey Road. We had to go to Olympic for a day and record there, explained Eric Tomlinson. Eric Tomlinson was the engineer of all three of the Classic Trilogy scores. And we filled the studio so full, we even had to put the piano on end so that we could get the last cello players in. Studio One was only 62 feet by 42 feet with a 28-foot ceiling. Anyway, the document goes on to say, The orchestra and the superstructure chase sounds reduced in the trumpets and the horns and the woodwinds, and several performance errors can be detected that are not readily audible in the film. I went down to talk to John Williams while he was conducting, recalled Tomlinson, and he just leaned over and said, It's like conducting a silent film. He couldn't hear a damn thing in there. I took it back to Abbey Road, and I spent days trying to make it sound like Abbey Road, like the rest of it, and I just couldn't, explained Eric Tomlinson. We gave up in the end, and although it sounded okay in the studio at Olympic, it didn't match up with the preceding or following cue. They almost dropped it, 
but it was too important to drop, end quote. Well, that does explain why it sounds somewhat different on the soundtrack, but to the average listener, it's barely noticeable, if at all, in the final film. But it certainly makes for an interesting story and demonstrates how hard the crew surrounding John Williams was working in order to maintain the highest standards of quality. Back to the film. Luke is now trying to drag a mortally wounded Darth Vader onto an Imperial shuttle to escape the Death Star, which is slowly falling apart around them. And the music takes a moment to become very emotional. Let's listen. First, we have Imperial Panic, and the Imperial March kind of falls apart in its bombast and becomes more of a sustained quiet. As Luke takes Vader's mask apart, we have very high strings playing an eerie, legato version of Vader's march, with harps playing arpeggios in the background. Then, as we see Vader unmasked, we get the march again in the woodwinds or the flute. This is sustained under the dialogue. Now, the march again in pianissimo French horn in a high register. Now, strings, and upon his death, a harp gently plucks out the motif of the Imperial March. Vader has died. But now, the big moment when the rebels blow up the Death Star Building suspense with the music. Trumpets signaling heroism. and suspense, explosions, are the ships going to make it? Finally, the Falcon blasts out into space with a blast from the brass section, and we get a victory resolution that echoes the victory resolution from the end of Jabba's sequence. When things quiet down, we get a scene between Han and Leia on the surface of Endor, and we hear the Luke and Leia theme.
when she shares the news with Han that they're actually just siblings, suddenly Han and Leia's love theme emerges. Motifs carrying the story. And now, again, more quiet. A solo French horn plays the force theme over Vader's funeral pyre. Echoing the binary sunset from the first film. Our characters have completed their journeys. The strings continue as the camera moves to the sky where we see fireworks in celebration. This is where we have to pause and talk about the multiple endings of Return of the Jedi, specifically regarding the celebration sequence. Initially, the music and the visuals were entirely about the Ewoks and the Rebels in the Ewok village on Endor. Let's take a listen to that, to the original ending of the film as it existed from 1983 to 1997. This song, which fans lovingly refer to as Yub Nub, is a song that apparently went through many permutations in its development. Here's another quote from Rinsler's Making of Return of the Jedi book, and this quote is from George Lucas, quote, We had endless amounts of overlays, various types of Ewok singing, various instruments, 
and it sort of evolved from a gospel rock and roll thing to the much more primitive thing that it is now. In both cases, it was a matter of weighing the ethnic realities with something musically interesting, end quote. Indeed, there were multiple versions, and we this is actually reflected in all the versions you can hear. What we hear in the 83 movie, which I just played for you, is one thing. What we hear on the 1993 box set is somewhat different. Check this out. And there's even a version with English lyrics, released back in 2013 for the first time. with Lapty Neck, the number of changes do indeed suggest that there was some sort of dissatisfaction with the main piece of music. So just like Lapty Neck and Java's Palace, when it came time to revisit sequences in the classic trilogy for the special edition theatrical releases in 1997, this ending music was changed. John Williams wrote a new victory celebration, one that focused less on the Ewoks and had more of a general feeling of galactic celebration as the digital tools made it possible to add shots of citizens celebrating on not just Endor, but also Cloud City, Tatooine, and the Imperial homeworld, Triple Zero itself, Coruscant. This piece was recorded between November 26th and November 27th, 1996, at Abbey Road Studios, almost 14 years after the majority of the score had been initially recorded there. Let's take a listen to how the film sounds now.
And then, of course, we close with the end credits. A suite that features the main title and the rebel fanfare, just as all of the closing sequences have. transitions into the parade of the Ewoks. From there, it gently transitions into Luke and Leia's theme. After which comes the rolling thunder from the original film. Into a bombastic fanfare of the main title again. Closing out the classic trilogy. Return of the Jedi is an enormous score, a movie filled with music, driving the tempo and story with equal importance, and creating one of the most memorable and operatic chapters in the Star Wars saga. Thank you all so much for listening to The Soundtrack Show and for your support. All your messages and emails, I read every single one. Please send me an email with your thoughts at soundtrackshowpodcast at gmail.com. Or follow us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Soundtrack Show HSW, or on Twitter at Soundtrack HSW. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at David W. Collins. Thank you. The Soundtrack Show is an iHeartRadio podcast. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.